can you imagine just how stunned these religious people were when Jesus is calling them, those who have a reputation as being extremely spiritually minded and religious, right? Those who are the, the, the doers of God's word, so to speak. And he tells them, woe to you, scribes, those who are professionals in understanding God's word. And Pharisees, those who stood out as being righteous, so as everyone would think. And he calls them hypocrites. He said, you travel across sea and land to make one single proselyte. And can you imagine if just one person turns to Jehovah, praise God. And he says, you do all that. You go out of your way to do that, but you make him twice, um, twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I cannot fathom what it was like to be someone who has a religious mind and Jesus is talking to them. And so very, very serious subject matter when we're talking about this phrase here. I love Jesus, but not the church. Remember when uh, just a little over a month ago, actually over two months now from when I began that series, Church 101 series, in doing the research for that series about the traditions versus God's word that goes on in the body of Christ, one of the things that I came across in my research was this very subject in Barna Research. And lo and behold, at the same time, Wilson Adams makes a post on Facebook. And his post was, I love Jesus, the church, not so much. And I thought it very uncanny because that post, for all intent and purpose of who it goes out to, went mini viral. It touched a nerve. And I'm going to guess that the sermon today will do that very thing. It will touch a nerve. And we're talking about an individual or a group of individuals that actually make up a growing segment of our society. I'm going to take the first few minutes just to look at this based upon the research and actually get into scripture after that. And I want you to see who we're talking about because it is affecting every single congregation belonging to Jesus Christ. Everyone. There, there is no exception. All right. And so who are these individuals? Well, I'm not expecting you to read this slide, but I'm going to read it out for you because it came from Barna and giving you a sense of who these people are. To get a sense of enduring faithfulness among Christians, despite a rejection of the institutional church, Barna created a metric to capture those who most neatly fit this description. It includes those who self-identify as Christian and who strongly agree that their religious faith is very important to their life, but are de-churched. That is, they have attended church in the past, but haven't done so in the last six months or more. These individuals have a very sincere faith, that is, 89% have made a personal commitment 
to Jesus Christ that is still important to their life today. But they are notably absent from church. What's interesting about the groups that, are, that I'm going to be looking at in the following slides after this one is who makes up this group. And that's what's going to be somewhat surprising. So when we're talking about Christians, there's a group within this research known as evangelicals. And then you have the rest that are just known as Christian. Well, from a Barna standpoint, they're more just Protestant. Right? And then there's a third group that is the group that we're talking about this morning. I love Jesus, not the church. And then there's a fourth group that is just whoever they are. They're not affiliated as being Christian. Okay? We would fit, this congregation would fit under the evangelical category based upon some of the things that, things that we're talking about here on this slide. Right? So from a standpoint that this person becomes a Christian as taught in Scripture so that when the teaching, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, verse 18 following. And then, of course, we see the apostles going out and preaching God's word, and they're evangelizing, making disciples. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And, of course, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. So these are individuals that have become Christians like you and I. Okay? There are also Christians who at some point after that would assemble with fellow believers. So they're churchgoers, if, if I could just modernize this. But at some point, something, something happened to these brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whereupon they have stopped assembling with Christians. They don't go to church services anymore. Right? That's who we're talking about. But they have not stopped being Christian. I'm not talking about individuals who have left the Lord as far as I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. I don't believe God exists. We're not talking about those who have been converted from Christianity to become atheists. We're talking about those who have been converted to Christianity but at some point stopped going to church. And so I'm stating that in these ways because some of us are saying, well, I'm going to guess. Some of us that listening to this sermon are saying, or they're not Christians then. But when you speak to them, they're going to say, absolutely not true. I am a Christian. I just don't want to be a part of the church. And when you get behind that, that's where things get pretty dicey for us. And that's where we're actually headed for the sermon. So, who are these people? By and large, a good majority of these people are women. Right? Almost, almost two-thirds of the population are going to be women that have left church, so to speak. And if you look at this section here, very little millennials, right? We're those that are around, for lack of a better term, make it easy, 35 and younger, pop, uh, adult population, millennials, only 14%. But when you look at the Gen Xers, those between the millennials and the boomers, the baby boomers, somewhere up to 70 years old. I know they go past 70 years old now, but for the sake of the study, about 70 years old. And then the elders above 70 years old. Very little from the elders. But look at these two right here. 80%. Huge. We're talking about 35 to 70 years old. There's an exodus going on. 
So large is this percentage that in 2004, there was approximately um, 7% of the U.S. population that would fit this, this group, if you will, those who would leave church, right? And of that, 70, of that 7%, 80% of them are, are this group right here, these two groups. It's grown up to 10% as of 2016. Now, I don't know about you, but you take 350 million people and add a percent, that's a lot of people. 3% growth in this area. So again, gives you an idea. And, and part of the reason why the millennials are so small is many of them don't even go to church to begin with. So very few leave church, right? If you're not even going to church to begin with, you don't fit the sample size. So kind of giving you an idea of what's going on. And when you're elderly, very different story. Many of them set in that regard, so many have not left. But that group in between, that's what we're really looking at for 35 to 70 years old. Even more interesting, we are in the Bible Belt here in the southeast. And it is in the Bible Belt, let alone Midwest and West, that you've got this big exodus taking place. Northeast, what's interesting about the Northeast is there's a large number that are not going to church to begin with. And so smaller exodus, if I can put it that way. But in the South, 33%. So this affects us right here in Franklin, Tennessee. And that's the reason why we're looking at this, not only because of these demographics, but I just want you to see that. And, and aside from that, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Some people say, yeah, it's mostly people with a left mindset, a progressive mindset. Not true. You're seeing, a diff you're seeing not much of a difference, right? Mostly white. For all the reasons that we could discuss, that's basically who's leaving. It's a very large, large percentage. So here's what they believe from Barna's standpoint. This is Barna's look at what Christian is and what's being believed, okay? So there's only one God. Strongly agree. Evangelicals, 100%. That's the group we belong to. Again, look at this percentage right over here. Practicing Christians, Protestantism, if you will, 90%. Even greater, love Jesus, not the church. One God. God is, as what you were saying, Brad, talking about being um, omniscient and uh, omnipotent. Basically, here's what we have here. Very high belief in this, I love Jesus, not the church. And, of course, God is everywhere. That's the picture. So... There's a lot more to it than that, but we're talking about some very generic, broad stroke statements that people will either agree or disagree upon, and that's what you see. So a lot of people that, that still believe, even though they've not gone to church. And then as far as religion being harmful, remember that um, sermon I gave just a week or two or three ago, I forget what it was, about religion, Right? Um, where, where we're looking at the concept of what true religion is dealing with, right? Rethinking religion was a sermon. All adults, religion is har uh, oh, back, back up. Religion is harmful. What, where'd I go? There we go. All right. So, what? I, I can't believe I went through three slides in one click. Okay. All right. So, disagree. Religion is mostly harmful. Adults, 48%. Half the group believe religion is harmful. And we'll get into some of the reasons why in just a minute. 
but love Jesus, not the church, 71%. So in other words, 29% believe religion is harmful. And it's not until you get to uh, evangelicals. But that's kind of saying a lot. 20 plus percent believe that religion is harmful among those who profess to be Christians. Not, not too well for us from that standpoint. And of course, then you've got, do you consider yourself spiritual? And look at that, almost 90% love Jesus, not the church. So you're seeing some things that are correlating between those who are churchgoers and those who are not churchgoers, right? But, and they consider themselves of, of being Christians, if you will. And then finally, all religions basically teach the same thing. Here's where you get some discrepancy. Um, strongly agree, you get that. Strongly disagree. Basically, this is, again, from a broad stroke denominational vantage point of Christianity. This is the things that stand out with those who fit this. Now, I want to zero in. I want to zero in because we're talking about our congregation here generally. And I'm not going to get that specific, but among those of like precious faith that we have fellowship with, notice this teaching. Well, let me go back to it. Oh, my word. I didn't know I had all these other stuff, but I didn't want to get into it. Those are all the stats. <laughs> you get the point. Why do they leave? That's what's important. And some have, and this is things that have been shared with me verbally, and things that I've read, some have been burned by other Christians. And sometimes all it takes is one time. You become a Christian, some other Christian, and you're new to this church, if you will, says something or does something and hurts you to the core and you leave. I'll give for instances based upon various conversations and things that have been stated, written, and what have you. Husband and wife get a divorce. And there's a stigma. Whether it is the one putting away, the one being put away. And whatever the stigma takes place, somehow they're treated differently among brethren. They've been burned. You have conversations recently, what's going on uh, on the internet, with molestations, rape, other things that take place in the body of Christ. You wonder why they don't stay when things happen against them. You have individuals who have been guilty of infidelity and have repented but are not treated as if they've repented. The list goes on. You get the idea. They've been burned. You know, here we are, the body of Christ, and we're saying to the world, come, bring your, your broken heart, bring your broken soul, bring your broken lives to, to, the, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will love you until we don't. That's why some have left. And then you have some that just don't feel a part of the congregation that they've joined. And sometimes what takes place is you don't feel a part. At, at some point, you're just, well, let's go to another congregation. And then you go to a third and a fourth and a fifth. And you know what actually happens? Unless they start a home church, 
they don't go to church anymore because they've not felt a part of the very family of believers that they're being added to. I've known this to happen. There are some that are simply frustrated with organized religion. So that's where that sermon came from a couple, whenever I gave that sermon a few weeks ago. Rethinking religion. You're looking at religion and their view is you, you come to church, you do your time, you sing some songs, you put money in the plate, you have a Bible study. And if you're really faithful, you go to the Bible class as well. And then you hear the sermon and you go home and live your life. Come back, do it all over again. Week in, week out, that's Christianity. We know that that's not the end all of Christianity, but that's what is practiced. And they get so frustrated because is this, the, is this what this is all about? Because when I read scripture, there's a lot more to a, a week than a few hours on a Sunday. And so they get disenfranchised, thinking, is this the end all of Christianity? Going to church, putting some money somewhere. And here's where it gets real dicey again from this standpoint. We have brethren who have been disheartened with the Lord's church when you get into the financial discussion. Because like last week, $8,000 for a small congregation, that's a lot of money. What are we doing with that money? And you have some brethren saying, we're paving parking lots with that rather than helping people in, in, in need. That's their view. Whether you get into it from a Bible authority standpoint about the use, that's the mindset that you're talking to. And they're saying, okay, okay, we're helping people in need. Like, you know, we have brethren that, that are in need, um, and we give them a few dollars, and then we spend 50000 on a roof. That's what I'm talking about, getting dis disheartened. So for all that we're talking about here, that's why some leave the church. There's going to be more reasons, but these are three huge reasons that I've been specifically told about when talking to brethren who have left. Let that sink in because we're part of the reason why they're leaving, okay? And if we are trying to, to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and understand who it is that's leaving, why they're leaving, and what those reasons are, some of them just don't feel comfortable talking publicly about these things. And so when I read Wilson's post, and I forgot the two examples that he started off his article with, I was like, it's exactly what I've been sharing. Or what has been shared, I should say, with me. And it resonated with a lot of brethren. Well, what's our response? What we can do is we can say, well, you know, that's their prerogative, it's their free will, they're making the choice, and you can be so crass as to say, don't get, too, don't get hit too hard on your way out. That's not the response we want. That is not a Christ-like response. Some leave for no other reason than their own decision. We've had brothers and sisters in Christ that have renounced Christianity. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6 talks about those who have tasted that heavenly gift, but then leave. We can't do anything about brethren who have turned their faces against God. But the next two are 
brethren who still love God. And for all that we might not want them to, to, not, uh, or to not forsake our coming together, they do. But they're still walking with God as far as they are concerned. How do we react to those then that leave because they've been burned by believers, fellow believers? They feel all alone in the body. I mean, here, I don't know what we have here, 170, 175 in that ballpark, 150, I'm not sure. And can you imagine? I'm here, but I feel all alone in the midst of this large group. Or I love God, but I struggle with the traditions of men that have just affected my heart so much that I, I, just can't, I can't stand being around Christians because Christians aren't supposed to live this way, right? We, we, we fuss about this or that, about whatever the thing is. You know, did we, did we go over too long? Did the preaching take a minute too long? Or did the song service didn't meet my expectations? Or is it other type of things that I'm actually genuinely fed up with, with organized religion, not little squibbles, if you will. So these are the things that we're talking about. What is our reaction? How do we look at individuals? And more importantly, what are we doing about it, if anything? See, this is an area, I think, that needs to be dealt with and delved into more. So whether it's our men getting together once a month, whether it's our small groups when we get together, this is a great discussion right here because it's happening amongst us. I think when we look at scripture and we see the teachings of Jesus, here's what he teaches us as reminders of how we ought to treat those who are leaving, still love Jesus, but not the church. So in Luke chapter 15, you know the parable. It's been read many times, but I'm just going to do it as a reminder in light of what we're talking about. In Luke chapter 15, picking up in verse 4, I'm going to read this. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And sometimes someone leaves and we're not seeking the lost that way. Now, some might say, but Mitch, I'm not lost. I still love God. But this is, a, this is a principle I'm wanting us to look at. Because there are going to be some that have left the church. And we want, this is a, we're talking about people whose souls, if however God through his, his righteousness and through his graciousness allows for someone, anyone, who's going to be with him for eternity. And, and far be it for me as I go on a little tangent, but we're going to be surprised. Some of us are going to be surprised because remember how surprised it was to hear the words, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. You go all over the world to find one proselyte and then you make them twice as much a son of hell as you. And so we may be surprised as to who all spends eternity. If we're going to be spending eternity with those who love Jesus, and maybe these are non-church goers that might be included in the list. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. But wouldn't it behoove us then to make those efforts? And it, at the very, very least, 
They're saying, well, I've, I've not left the church. I've just left this congregation. Wouldn't it behoove us to find out why? But seeking and saving the way Jesus did. How about Hebrews chapter 12, right? Hebrews chapter 12, after talking about how the discipline molds us, whereupon we can live righteously before God. Notice what he goes on to say, because not everyone handles that discipline very well. Some of us are weak when it comes to being disciplined by our Lord and by the way of our Lord. And so in Hebrews 12, read verses 12 following with me. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Some leave the church because that's what they see. They see defiled church. And so what are we doing? How are we living with each other? And finally, Romans chapter 12. When you read Romans chapter 12, verse 15, of course, we're talking about this body within, within Christ. And within this body, here's how we treat or ought to treat one another. And I want you to read that passage with me in light of this. It says here in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So why is it that there's a group that's leaving and some of us may be completely unaware right and I would say the reason is because we don't know each other well enough we don't right getting to know each other is two-way street some people are good at it some people go out of the way to, to say hi to everyone Mark Joseph at least when, like when we're here, here amongst brethren and visitors, if anyone knows, if, you, if you've not met Mark yet, you will today. He will make his presence known to you, especially if you're visiting. You have other brethren, that, that, that's just their strength. They do that, and everyone's different about that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about actually getting to know each other, our lives. Right? When you read Acts chapter 2, watch that which we read last week, verses 42 through 47. What's the church doing? The church is actually in each other's lives. The, the brethren that make up the body of Christ are involved in each other's lives daily. Now I get it. Our society, our culture, it's all about work and we're all separated because of work. We're separated because of our distances. We don't live like within 100 feet of each other. We live within 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 and more miles from each other at our greatest distance. I get it. But we have never been more, with the ability of technology, more able to be in communication with each other. But our lives, we're busy with, with schools, with activities, with work, and so on and so forth. We all are, generally speaking. And so we don't have that involvement. And as a result, when someone does leave, we don't know too much about it. So how do we handle this? 
And that's part of the reason why when we have, whether it's potlucks at our house or whether it's small groups that we are doing or whatever it is, take advantage of that opportunity. When week after week or month after month and year after year goes by and you've not taken advantage of the opportunities to have fellowship with brethren beyond this, what, three hours on Sunday and another hour or so on, on Wednesday, you'll get to know your brethren much better outside of these walls. And when difficult times come, because you are together, you help each other through those moments versus a shallow relationship that consists of a few hours a, a week. This is what the church, the passages I was reading, particularly in Hebrews 12, they were able to deal with, not, not brethren who left the church, but brethren who are considering leaving Christ because they're not so sure about that conviction that they have. That's the reason why Hebrew letter was written. But these are brethren that they're involved in each other's lives. The question is, what are we doing to be that involved so that we can actually fulfill these things that we have been taught? That passage that we read is based upon Matthew 23, right? Hypocrites. You go high and low. The fact that we support men literally all various parts of the world, different continents, is so wonderful and the gospel is being spread so wonderfully and then here we are we have gracious opportunities that God has blessed us with whether it's the the jails that we go to whether it's the prison Tennessee prison for women or whether it's our neighbors that we can speak to that's wonderful but what happens when they become Christians is it just that we're here at this room for a few minutes a day what kind of fellowship do we actually have? Are we actually striving to edify each other? When we're in our Bible classes, since we're here at the building mostly when we spend our time, are we to edify each other? To try and understand? Or is it nitpicky? Because I've been to congregations where it's nitpicky. You say something the, right, the wrong way, the wrong word choice, whatever it is, you got the wrong verse. And it, that's more important than the bi actual Bible study. And we wonder why some leave the church. Do we edify? Do we sympathize when someone is struggling? Or do we say, oh, I don't know anything about that situation. I don't want any part of it. It's too sticky for me. I mean, all, our lives are very, very, um, I don't know what to say. I guess fragile at times. And because we don't have a close affinity with each other as can be outside these walls, then when it comes time to dealing with these sticky matters, we stay away rather than be, be there for each other. Do we empathize? There's a lot that, that could be said for those scenarios that I was giving where whether it was um, a divorce or infidelity, maybe it was pornography, maybe it was um, embezzlement, maybe it was whatever it is. And you have brethren that are struggling with whatever weakness of sin. And instead of saying, stop sinning, maybe they need help along those ways. Now, let me be very clear and be distinctive. Someone who is going to sin and sinning willfully, 
They need to repent, and if they're not really willing to repent, they need to be withdrawn from. Over time, right? You lovingly go to them and rebuke them, exhort them. But that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who love God and are weak in the faith. They struggle with sin. How do we work with them? Because they still love God. It'd be like, since we're talking about King David this morning, David, you sin with Bathsheba, hasta la vista. You're out of here. No more with you. You're not a good king. Or do we work with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we empathize because we're all sinners? Saved by the blood of Jesus, but we're all guilty of some kind of sin. Even if it's not the same exact one. And what I'm saying is, can we cancel out the reasons why some leave the church from our vantage point? I'm going to be very blunt. I think the answer is, generally speaking, no and yes. Here's why. Because we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're human beings. We sin against each other. We sometimes do it out of indifference, sometimes blind to the fact that we have sinned against one another, sometimes because of the flesh. But the exhortation and the yes is for us to be aware of how we are, in fact, treating each other so as to minimize the reasons why brethren leave the body of Christ. The exodus is continuing to happen. What are we doing about it is the point, right? And so the point is just what Jesus taught, that we're there for each other, that we strive to be like Jesus. We follow Jesus, genuinely follow Jesus. And the church looks like we are very attractive because of this love that we have for each other and for lost souls, for, for our neighbor, simply a, a person in need, and that we actually care for them, it is attractive. And we get to do it, especially within the household of faith, Galatians 6, verse 10. We can genuinely love one another and be there for each other. This will happen less often. The percentage does not have to be reflective of the community of which we are a part of right here in Franklin. You individually may be here and saying, you know what, that's me. I just haven't left the church yet. You may also be here because of this sermon. Right? And you may saying, you might be saying, that is me or was me. And I'm, for lack of a better way of explaining this, I'm giving the church a second chance. Communicate with us these things. Open up, be vulnerable. Take that chance, and hopefully you'll have a good experience with the family of believers here. Brethren, let this sink in, because if we look about us within the pews, this may be someone in the future right here. And let's keep that from happening. If you're here, you want to come to the Lord and, and be a part of his kingdom, let it be very clearly known. We're far from perfect. Right? Just because you get added by the Lord to his kingdom, his church, does not mean everything goes away. There's no more sin among Christians. No, 
we're talking about the religious that Jesus called hypocrites. And in the church, we have hypocrisy. That's a reality. It's because sin exists. And hopefully, we repent of our hypocrisy. Hopefully, we repent of our struggles of weakness and, and even sometimes when it's purposeful because of lack of love. But we're wanting you to be added by the Lord because you need your soul to be saved because of your sins. And you can struggle with us holding each other's hands. And hopefully through that process, we get closer and closer together. Hopefully through that process, we get to spend eternity together. And brethren, if you are one of those that are struggling and you say, you know what, I'm on, I'm on this brink here of becoming one of the statistics. Even though I'm not a statistic, I'm a soul. Confide in, in some brethren, whether it's the elders, any one elder, any brother or sister in Christ, any smaller group that you can let more people know about this. And I pray that we respond well to your requests to help in that regard. That's your invitation. And I pray that if you will do that, God bless us in that endeavor. The song of invitation is 641, Who Will Follow Jesus? Let's stand and sing.